0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. I just are. got a,
2: a breath of fresh air when you walked into this studio. <laughs> i tell you, Jesse and I were all fired up today about the faith and yeah. serving Christ. And good, good. Danielle, I'm so excited about the Bible with the barbers, and I'll tell you why. Because we always say ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Right. And to inspire people who write to us and saying that, you know, I love my Bible. I'm reading it yeah. more. It's beautiful. And, and I got big news before you do the reading.
1: You're starting your Bible study
2: Today, Tonight. It?
1: That's right. The first the, for Tuesday. Yeah, this would be at the, 7 p.m. at the chapel at 7 p.m. And then on so Thursday, I'll be there at one in the afternoon. Please. God. Awesome. Well, let's get some
2: soul food in our, in our in our soul.
1: All right. Well, we are now in the um, what's called the 34th week in ordinary time. Um, and we have the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 7, 11 through 17. Mm-hmm. Jesus journeyed to the city called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd accompanied him as he drew near to the gate of the city. A man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with pity for her, and he said to her, Do not weep. He stepped forward and touched the coffin. At this the bearers halted, and he said, Young man, I tell you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, exclaiming, A great prophet has arisen in our midst, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding regions. Mm. That's the gospel for today.
2: Praise to you, Lord
1: Jesus Christ. Amen. And... Uh, we ask the Lord to enlighten our minds and hearts and give us his Holy Spirit and ask the angels to help us to understand. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaot Plenis et Terra Gloria Tua Hosanna in excelsis Benedictus Quiveni ten Nomine Domini oh. Hosanna in excelsis Part of the role of our guarding angel is to enlighten us to um, uh, th- about the things of God. He knows a lot about them. Mm. So... Jesus is there. He's approaching this village, and they're carrying out a man who died. They're going to bury this man. So he's been dead for a little while, yeah. a couple of days. He's been dead for a few days. They had to wait a certain number of days before they could bury him. And Jesus sees this is the only son of a widowed mother, and he has compassion on her. And he stops the people who are carrying the coffin, and he addresses the, the dead man and mm-hmm. says, I tell you, arise. Mm-hmm. And the dead man gets up, and he gives him back to his mother. Yep. Well, the Lord has the power over life and death, doesn't he? Yep. And so he can give life back to the dead. And Jesus did raise the dead as he went about doing his miracles. Excuse me.
3: <coughs> Sorry about
1: that. No problem. And then um, it's interesting that it says this was a widowed mother. And this is her only son. That's right. And this is St. Luke writing this gospel. And, and Luke's, the beginning of Luke's gospel is he gives the infancy narratives. And he got that information from our Blessed Mother. He interviewed, it's, it's tradition that Luke interviewed the Blessed Mother mm-hmm. to get the information that he got to write the beginning of his gospel. And so he has a great love for Our Lady. And it's this tenderness in our Lord. He, he recognizes, mm-hmm. you know, his mother is going to go through this her son is going to die but you know what her son's going to rise from the dead too was this a sign to her and i'm not you know this isn't i don't know you know but but it occurred to me as i was praying over this was this a sign to his mother that yes i will rise and my raising of this boy to the from the dead and giving him back to his mother But my resurrection, of course, will be different. His resurrection was not a resuscitation. He doesn't come back to his earthly life. He rises from the dead in glory to be with his father in heaven. So death is not the end of the story. And that's what our Lord wants us to understand. You don't need to fear death anymore because there's something beyond. There's something beyond the grave. And that's life with God in heaven. And that's what we're made for.
2: I love that point that Bishop Sheen talks about for most men, their death is an interruption. Yeah. Yeah. But for us, it's a gateway.
1: It's a gateway. And that, that's it. You know, the the Jesus Christ's death was not an interruption to his work. Oh, no. He came to die. That was and Bishop Sheen points this out. Yeah, yeah. This was the reason he came. He came to die mm-hmm. in order to redeem us from the power of sin and death. So that we would no longer be afraid of sin. Because it was through the fear of sin that the children that the children had remained mm-hmm. slaves. Their whole life's long. We need to give up this fear of death because the Lord has something beyond the grave for us. He has union with himself. And if we're beginning to live in union with God here as we walk on this earth, then it's going to be easier for us to accept the moment of our death and to realize this is a gateway. It's the passageway from this life to the eternal life God has prepared for us. The
2: church has always encouraged us to pray prayers for a holy death. Amen. Some people would say, oh, that's... That's morbid nope. to be thinking about your death. Well, it is when you don't think at all and you don't want to think about it because you just don't want to deal with the understanding that this, will, this life here on earth will end and I just want to have fun. The point of it is we have prayers in our missile yes. that are specifically prayers for a holy death. And
1: Tell us what a holy death is. A holy death is to, is to die in union, union with God. God. <laughs> union so to, I it, knew she'd say that. You want to you want to die in union with God? Well, then start living in union with yeah. God right now and start praying for it.
2: Uh, the way the tree bends is the way it
1: falls. Exactly. And as Mother Angelica said, she always liked to say, "Honey, death isn't going to change your will. Mm. It's going to solidify it. Yeah. So if you if you find yourself already turned away from God." Or turning away from God, stop yourself and turn back. Because when you die, you're not going to change your mind. No.
2: Mary. I, one of the questions came out on the app that I had actually that I had heard was regarding Jonah and the whale. So I said, "Can we ask you that question?" Because sometimes people will say that, "Oh, that's just you know not that's just poo poo." I mean, come on, no nobody could be swallowed by a whale and survive. Well, I want to tell the fun story that Bishop Sheen had back about 40 (laughs) years ago at UCLA, right? In our backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And he was giving a presentation in 1972 to the students and everything was going fine. It was the time for the Q&A. And one student in the back says, yes, uh, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. What can I do for you? He says, well, you talked about Jonah and the whale. I want to know how Jonah survived in the belly of a whale for three days. And uh, Bishop Sheen gave a very profound answer. He says, I have the foggiest idea, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. <laughs> and the gentleman in the audience says, and what happens if he's not in heaven? <laughs> and I love Bishop Sheen's line. He, works, he says to the guy, then you ask him. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what a line to say in front of a bunch of young people. <laughs> what, what else could you say? So here's my question. That's just a story that took place 40 years ago at UCLA. But, you know, I want to understand the question regarding the Bible. How do we interpret these stories like Jonah and the whale?
1: Well, what's interesting is, and and Terry told me he was going to ask this question here today because, you know, it's been on people's minds. So I went back to some of the books that I studied when I was um, in my studies. One was on um, interpreting the prophetic word. An Introduction to the Prophets, and another one is Handbook of the Prophets. Mm -hmm. And um, the Handbook of the Prophets points out that traditionally, traditionally, the book of Jonah has been understood as a historical account of an episode in the life of the prophet. Now, okay, the first question to ask is, well, was Jonah a real person? Well, yes, he was a real person. Of course. As a matter of fact, we know him not just from his own book, but we know him from 2 Kings 14.25. And he had prophesied um in the reign of Jeroboam the second that the victory of Jeroboam, and so yeah, Jonah was a prophet, he's there in the Bible, and so when we look at the scriptures, we always want to look at first at the the literal historical meaning of the text before we look into the spiritual meaning right. of the text, the allegorical, the anagogical yep. the um those other meanings that can be there. So Jonah, Jonah's, this prophetic book, this particular prophetic book is is more like an autobiography of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting what Jonah's doing here. Jonah is, he's running away from God. Yeah. And, and Scott Hahn points something out very interesting about this. Why would a prophet be running away from God? Well, God told Jonah to go tell the Assyrians the job he didn't want, that they better repent <laughs> or he's going to wipe them out. Yeah. Well, Jonah's in northern Israel. He's a prophet. He knows that if the people in in Israel don't turn back to God, if they don't start following God and get rid of their idols, then God is going to raise up Assyria to come and chastise them. So Jonah's like, ah, my chance. If I don't preach to them, they won't repent. And then. They'll get destroyed. <laughs> okay. Well, like yeah, you know, it's like, isn't that the way we think? You know, okay, God, come on and kill all the bad guys, yeah. you know? It's like, honey, uh, you sure you're not one of them? If I wipe out all the bad guys, are you sure you're not going to be in that bunch? So Jonah is a real prophet. He was a real. He's a real historical person, and he's telling about his particular walk with the Lord. He was asked to do something very difficult. He's asked to go outside of Israel and prophesy to a pagan nation, that they need to repent of their sins. And if they don't, they'll be destroyed. And yet Jonah, as a Jew, doesn't really want that pagan nation to survive. He doesn't, he's not thinking with the mind of God yet. Yeah. And so he's going to try and run away. So we'll have to come back and see what happens.
2: I just want to remind everybody, the Spiritual Warfare Conference is coming up on the 11th of January. We've got St. Christopher's, the big church in West Covina, to um, be able to facilitate everyone. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877 526 if you want to register for the conference. We'll come right back.
4: Welcome to our January 11, 2020 Spiritual Warfare Conference. Every year without fail, this is our most popular well-attended event. This year's Spiritual Warfare Conference will host Adam Bly, a Catholic demonologist, and an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists, along with Dr. Luis Sandoval, a psychiatrist who's part of the Healing, Deliverance, and Exorcism team for the Diocese of Orange. These two gentlemen bring tons of experience and expertise in the area of spiritual warfare, This is going to be a high-information Catholic seminar. I'll be there as well, sharing some riveting stories on the diabolical and liberation found through Jesus Christ from my best-selling book, The Devil in the City of Angels. Mark your calendars, come and join us, and meet other radio hosts from Jesus 911. Contrary to popular beliefs, spiritual warfare is not demon-centered. It's Christ-centered. Come join us and learn how to armor up and fight the good fight of faith. Catholics, wake up. Don't hit the snooze button. Join us at St. Christopher Catholic Church, 629 South Glendora Avenue, Covina, California on January 11 2020. See you then. Strength and honor in Jesus'
0: name. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. According to St. Boniface, in her voyage across the ocean of this world, the church is like a great ship being pounded by the waves of life's different stresses. Our duty is not to abandon ship, but to keep her on course. May our Lord help us remain ever faithful to His Church to aid and defend her. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: So here we are, Bible with the Barbers, and we're talking about Jonah. And we already established that uh, traditionally this book has been considered historical. And the deal is, we say traditionally because modern scholars take a lot of exception to tradition. They don't always accept the traditional view. And one of the major problems in our modern world with modern scholars is they try to explain away anything supernatural in the scriptures. They try to say that, oh no, and this is what they try to say about Jonah. There's too many um, fanciful things happening in this story for it to be a historical fact. Well, do we believe that God can intervene in human history? Oh, yeah. And what do we believe about the scriptures? Do we really believe that the scripture is the word of God? I had someone say to me recently, oh, well, you know, the Old Testament, it was just written by a bunch of misogynistic, patriarchal old men. And so they're going to make women look bad. And it's like, is that really what it is? Is that how I see it? Well, then I've just made it the word of men. But the church teaches me that the scripture really is God's word. And as a matter of fact, the church teaches me the Holy Spirit is the primary author of Scripture. And so whatever is in Scripture, whatever is affirmed in Scripture, is to be considered affirmed by God. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, there are po- there's poetry in Scripture. There's, there are stories in Scripture. There are parables. And just because it's a parable doesn't mean it's not based on historical fact. There are historical novel-type things in there. But is it possible that God could intervene? What's happening in the story of Jonah? Well, Jonah is running away from God, as we said, because he doesn't want to tell the Ninevites that they need to repent of their sins. And some people say, well, obviously the Ninevites would not have repented because they're pagans. Why would they repent? Well, it's interesting. Um, On the boat, if you look at when the storm comes up, Mm -hmm. Jonah is sleeping in the hall. And the sailors are trying to get a hold. And they're praying to their gods to save them. And they find Jonah sleeping in the hall. And the captain goes down and says, what are you doing? What are you sleeping here for? Wake up. So they come up on board. And and Jonah comes up on board. And and, uh, he's not saying anything. He doesn't divulge who he is or what he's about. And so finally, they're they're rowing hard to regain the land. And the storm is getting worse. And so they say, "Okay, let's draw lots to see who's responsible. And the lot falls on Jonah. And the sailors are like, well, who are you and what is this? <laughs> why, why would this be going on because of you? And he said, well, I'm a prophet of God Uh-oh. from Israel. And I'm running away from him because he told me to do something I don't want to do. Essentially, that's what he says. And, and the sailors are filled with fear. How could you possibly do this? If God asked you to do something, do it. why would you <laughs> run away? Right. And they are struck with fear. Now, Jonah says, "You gotta, you got to throw me in the ocean. And they're like, no, we can't do that. You're an innocent man. We can't just kill you. And they really try to. Now, this man, this man's caused the storm. Look at who it is. And, and he's running away from God. And, they're, and yet these sailors have more faith in the God of Israel. I love it. You know, and they have more faith that God could stop this storm. And so they're trying to regain the land. And they can't. And so finally, they beg God, please don't condemn us for doing this. And they throw Jonah overboard. And the wind and everything stops. The storm stops. And God sends a huge fish, it says, to swallow Jonah. Well, first of all, there are fish that are big enough to swallow a man. Mm-hmm. And, and second of all, God can intervene. I, the church has always said this, and we know it. The miracles, you know, miracles still happen today. Oh, yeah. Many miracles happen every day. We don't always see them. And so Jonah's been thrown overboard and he gets swallowed by the fish. Mm -hmm. Now the sailors sail on and they're actually rejoicing in the God of Israel because they've seen a a demonstration of his power. God is absolutely omnipotent. He has absolute sovereignty over everything in creation. Absolute sovereignty over everything in creation. And so Jonah's been thrown overboard and now Jonah is begging for mercy because he's been swallowed by the fish and God could protect him. And that's what we are told in the book, that then after three days, he is spit up on the shore. And Jesus uses this as an example. He said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the bowels of the earth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, apparently dead, and and, and then spit up by the whale on the third day, just as Jesus is really dead and he rises from the dead. And so yes, it's absolutely possible that this is literally historically true.
2: Mary, it's documented in Catholicism and Fundamentalism by Carl Keating, nineteen eighty eight, ignatius press is the publisher, talking about a fisherman in nineteen in eighteen ninety eight, uh it was swallowed by a whale. And the whalers killed this whale and when they were Butchering the whale, they found this man inside the belly of the whale.
1: Right, because the fish don't necessarily chew their food; they just no. swallow it whole. Yeah, yep. and
2: the yeah. It, and the acid was supposed to, he was all burned.
1: Yeah, he had been damaged by the acid, yep. but nonetheless he survived, and yeah. that's. That's just a man who there's no inter, there's no divine intervention here. There was no reason for God to intervene necessarily right, right. To, to save his life. And yet he was there. And I, it wasn't it wasn't immediately that they caught him. They had no. to, they had to chase the wheel down. That's it was right. a day or two. And, and yeah. So but the reality is, is that how do we accept the word of God? And are we trying to say that anything in the scriptures that looks like it's supernatural? Um, well, we have to just reject that. And there, there's definitely that bent among modern scholars. And that's not having faith in God, is it? God doesn't defy the laws of nature, okay? But he can go above and beyond them. And he can do things that are beyond our ability to reason. To, they don't go against reason, but we couldn't imagine. For instance, mm-hmm. could God become man? Something that man never could have imagined. Yeah. Could someone rise from the dead? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so God doesn't defy the laws of nature, but he can go beyond because he made them. And so we we know that there are miracles. We know that um, since the beginning there have been miracles.
2: What I've noticed, they poo-poo these miracles that take place. All these modern theologians, I mean, I hear them uh, on other Catholic radio stations saying just the opposite. Of what you just said and that's why I wanted to tell our listeners that you know this is not Mary's personal opinion or my opinion this is what the church's teachings throughout the centuries have understood Scripture to be and so I just right. think it's important that we see not just you know today but we see the perennial teachings
1: we need to not lose the tradition And I'm not saying that the church has dogmatically defined that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Okay. No, the church hasn't. She hasn't gone through the scriptures and dogmatically defined anything. You know, there's very few things that have been dogmatically defined, but that, that the scriptures, that the scriptures are God's word and that the Holy spirit is the primary author. And so whatever is affirmed in scriptures is affirmed by God. Yeah. The church does teach that. And we, again, you have to understand the genre. What is the, the, type of literature there but the tradition of the church the, the fathers of the church the doctors of the church have traditionally accepted jonah as historical okay so it's a it's a it's a historical book it's part of his autobiography so that's that's the take i take on it i'm not i'm not one to um join with other modern scholars who say that anything supernatural in scripture needs to be to be explained away because i do believe that god does intervene every day in our lives.
2: I joke with my wife, and I say she's not into novelties,
1: <laughs> and I'm not. No, you're really not. Believe me, I don't come up with a lot of new ideas. Yeah. I I borrow ideas from the That's saints, nice. the doctors of the church. Oh, the documents of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, read the council documents, read the catechism. Hey, it's great stuff. You know, go out there. You really want to wow people? Go out there and start quoting this stuff. You know. <laughs> It's Thank beautiful. you for that
2: answer. Yeah. It was long-winded, but it was well-needed. And you know, Mary, that's the interesting thing about a lot of these questions. They're not just one or two-word answers. Yeah, There's a big uh, explanation that right. where the church has been thinking about these things for 2,000 years. Exactly. Thinking about uh, how old our church is, it's really beautiful. I, I, I get a, kind of a bang out of people who say, Well, if this book wasn't published before, I mean, after 1960, before 1965... They probably didn't have anything good to say. I've heard that as a, as a young man. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you telling me the fathers of the church, the saints, you're leaving out, you know, two, uh, almost 2,000 years of history of the Catholic church? It seems uh, like it's ironic that we think that unless we just thought of it, then it can't be any good. And I, I, I think that's just some kind of pride that we have, thinking that only modern man has the answer.
1: Yeah, and there, some say, there are those who want to say that there was nothing nothing good published before 1965. But then there's the other group that says, well, um, there was nothing good published afterwards. That's, that's right. So both extremes are wrong. Amen. The wise householder brings forth from his store of goods both that's the right. old and the new. and But the new doesn't contradict the old. It doesn't do away with it. That the church has always taught that the scripture is the word of God. That still stands. Right. And so if we ignore the tradition, we lose our roots. Yeah. And that's what's happened in the, in the 20th century for many of us. We've lost mm-hmm. our Christian roots. That's right. We're trying to reinvent a Christianity that really is not rooted in the gospel. Mm. You know, people are looking for, oh, they, 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 they have three Christs now. You have the the Jesus of history and the Christ of the gospels and, and the Christ of faith. And it's like, We've heard that. what? Um, no, they're all the same. The Gospels and the church unhesitatingly affirmed the historicity of the Gospels. So the Jesus we meet in the Gospels is the Jesus who walked in Nazareth in the I first I want to century. recommend
2: something. Dr. Scott Hahn did a series, Can You Trust the Bible? Yes, absolutely. And that's part of the best of Scott Hahn on an MP3 disc. And it's a bunch of, I mean, it's 30 hours of Scott Hahn teaching you about the Bible. So if you want to get a copy of that, I I ask for at least a $25 donation. Just call 877-526-215. It's called The Best of Scott Hahn's MP3. You also get a $20 DVD of his conversion story. Share that with your friends. Why do I say that? Because that's about seven and a half hours of a class he taught. Can you imagine that? That long explaining what the church teaches about the inerrancy of scripture, yeah. something that for most, unfortunately, and I've been told this for the last 30 years from priests, we weren't taught that in the seminary. Thank right. you. That really opened yeah. my mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we really, we really need to get the it's teaching important. of the church out there. And this is why it's important to read the documents of the church and don't just read what somebody said about them. It's like the saints. Don't just read what somebody says about the saints. Read the writings of the saints. Don't just read what somebody says about scripture. Read the scripture. Hmm. It is the living word of God. And so is the word of God. By the way, faith is, faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. You know, that God exists is not an article of faith. You can know that by the unaided light of your reason. It's reasonable to believe in the existence of God because it's a self-evident truth. Nothing can create itself. There had to be someone in the beginning who existed independent. So if there's a creation, there had to be a creator. Makes God sense. is the creator. And oh. that's, yeah, that, that, but that God is a trinity, now that's an article of faith. There you go. That God became man, that's an article of faith. You
2: know. I like what Jesse has said for years. There's no expiration date on that book. The Bible. There's, there's no expiration date. So it Bible. is true today, Absolutely. tomorrow, yesterday, forever. We're forever. And you know, that's, really reassuring as a Catholic to know that this is
1: God's Word. Amen. Amen. And we'll be right back with more on the Bible with the Barbers. And we're working on the Acts of the Apostles. We're all the way up to chapter 19. Wow. Open up that Bible. I'm so glad you joined us. There you go. Right back with much more. Bible with the Barbers.
2: Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
4: This is Jesse Romero. And I'm Terry Barber. From the Terry and Jesse Show. And we invite you to listen to the Holy Hour of Power, High Energy Catholic Radio. We're two Catholics with a PhD in common
2: sense. We're on Monday through Friday on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. What we're going to give you is Masculine Catholic Teachings on the Faith. You know, We say we're too inspired to be tired, we're too protected to be dejected, and we're too renewed to be subdued. Why? Because we believe in Jesus Christ and His Bride, the Church. And we will take each issue of the day and show you how the Catholic Church has the answer for our culture. What we really do is bring men back into the Catholic Church, which it's about time to do. We want men to be leaders in their Catholic faith so that they can bring their family to heaven. Our program
4: is not right versus left. It's right versus wrong. And our program is where Catholicism
2: and culture intersect. It's high-energy Catholic radio. We're going to inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ and His bride to the church.
4: The Terry and Jesse Show on the Virgin Most Powerful app.
0: I want to take this opportunity to let you, our listeners, know about an event being held here at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. We will be celebrating the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel on September
2: 28, 2019, beginning at 9 o'clock with Mass in the morning and talks to follow. Ruben Nava and myself will be speaking, so come and hear us talk about
0: St. Michael and Our Lady. Come join us, and we'll see you there.
4: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
2: Welcome back, Gary and Jesse. Mary, I wanted to give a promotion piece before Good. you get into the acts. Absolutely. For those who just tuned in, uh, Mary, you start your Bible study for the year today at 7 p.m. at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. And then on Thursday, we you have your first session for the Thursday session. Is that at 1 p.m.? One in the afternoon. That's great. For those who don't want to go out at night. And uh, Mary, uh, what are you going to be covering in that Bible
1: study? Well, we're going to finish the Acts of the Apostles. So Good. we want to finish that up this year. There's a, there's a few more chapters here to, to uh, go Good. through, uh, chapter, up to chapter 26. And then I want to start looking at the letters of St. Paul. Oh, those letters are powerful. They are powerful. So let's get into the Acts. The Acts of the Apostles here, so we have chapter nineteen, and mm-hmm. and um, as you know, Paul and Apollos—they had met Apollos at the end of the. Apollos, Apollos had met um, Priscilla and Aquila at the end of chapter eighteen, and Priscilla and Aquila had more, uh, had instructed him more fully into the fullness of the gospel, and now he's still traveling, and he comes upon some men who. They know of John's baptism, but they never heard of the baptism by Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And so um, they, they're they um, evangelized by Apollos, and then they're baptized, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And um, there were about 12 of them. It's interesting. That was another case. There was about 12. And it, Jesus didn't look for numbers, okay? He starts with small numbers, and that's the the. the it's like the mustard seed. Mm-hmm. It grows. It grows. Sure. So then we have Paul preaching, and he's working miracles at Ephesus. So Paul is in Ephesus, and for three months, for the first three months there, he's speaking in the synagogue. But after about three months, he gets some resistance from the Jews. And so they they find that then I'm going to go, and I'm going to speak to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And he remains there. He remains in uh, Ephesus for. Two years after that. Mm-hmm. So he was a total time in Ephesus for two years and three months. What's interesting about that is Paul, when he departs there, he references his three years in Ephesus. And for the people of that time, because he spent two years and three months in Ephesus, that's three years. Because he spent part of the third year there. there you go. But in chat you know, eleven, people oftentimes ask Catholics about relics and why where do you get this practice of relics? And well in Acts 19, verse 12, actually, it says that, well, in, I'll start with 11. And God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And who's doing the miracles? God. This isn't Paul doing miracles, but God is working and Paul allows God to work in and through him to do his work. And then it says, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from Paul's body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Amazing. So from the very beginning the church yeah. re- the church how do you say it? recognized re- recognized relics That's that right. and this is then this is Paul is still alive and they would touch handkerchiefs or aprons to his body and they yeah. would take him to the sick and the suffering and even people who were possessed by demons and these people would be cured. And so from the very beginning the Christians had respect and devotion for the relics and not only the mortal remains of the saints and they did the early christians when the when the martyrs were were killed the early christians would go and they would use cloths to soak up the blood mm-hmm. the blood of martyrs and they they believed that you know because that god would because god shares his glory with his saints and he's not stingy and so there was there was no problem with understanding they're not worshiping the saints we're not worshiping the saints but we do understand that God gives graces in answer to the prayers of those who are very close to him. Mm -hmm. And so the martyrs were very close to the Lord. They gave their lives. Not everybody was a martyr. Not every early Christian was a martyr. There were some who were and some who weren't. And so um, what's interesting then in... Acts nineteen, and I thought this very apropos because some people asked some questions this week on the app about uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, oh, yeah. and also about aliens. Well, you know, in in verse seventeen of nineteen, mm-hmm. what happens here is you have um, the you know all of these miracles that are happening with Paul, and so many people come to believe. And what there were people who had books of magic. It, it, there's always the temptation. I want some secret knowledge that nobody else has, yep. so that I'm going to be thought important, and other people are going to look up to me. Or I want some power over the people around me, so I'm going to dabble in things that are going to give me power over the people around Just them. Just to
2: confirm what you're saying, Zachary King is a good example. Yeah, he's a he was a, a a satanist, and he said that's exactly what the hook was. I want power. I want control.
1: Yeah. So this has
2: been going on for thousands of years.
1: And and so these people had books of magic. And what's interesting is some people were trying to say that, you know, well, this is just magic, what Paul was doing. Well, was it just magic? The gospel clearly condemns the use of magic. Mm-hmm. The Bible condemns it. And so what happens here? A number of those who practiced magic arts had had practiced magic arts before their conversion bring their books together and burn them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them to be found. And it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Wow. That's what it says here. 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, some people say, well, you know, if I can get a little monetary gain, I mean, (laughs) so what? How I do it? You know, and it's. These people took books that were valued to 50,000 pieces of silver and destroyed them. That means they, they gave it all away. Why? Because they found something more valuable. Do we understand the value of the gospel? Do we understand the value of a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and with the Father and the Holy Spirit? Do we understand that God is calling us to union with himself and that the things of this earth can hold us back from that? that we can get entrapped and enmeshed in things that are legitimate. This is magic isn't legitimate because if it's a tied to the occult and then then you're dealing with the demonic. But there are legitimate things too that can hold us well, back. We could talk about sports, we can talk yeah. about entertainment if we
2: go to extremes. Right. It takes us away.
1: And right. that's it. you know these Dungeons and Dragons games. People say, "Well, it's just entertainment." Well, is it really? Well, actually the Dungeons and Dragons isn't just entertainment. There's occult practices in it. And you have witches and wizards and druids and you have to kill people and you have to, that's not the gospel, honey. The the gospel, Jesus Christ never said you have to go out and kill people if they don't believe the gospel. He said, if you preach the gospel and they refuse it, shake the dust of their town from your feet. Let God take care of it. God will sort it all out in the end. The wheat and tares grow together in the field. So no, it's not up for us to, to go out and kill people and And if you're playing games that do this kind of stuff, that have occult practices in them, know that you are in very dangerous territory, and you may already be somewhat enmeshed in the power of the enemy, the enemy who wants to destroy you for all eternity. And yes, hell is eternal. There's no end to it. The four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Heaven is eternal. Hell is eternal. That's the teachings of the church. That's not my opinion. And that's, I'm not trying to give my opinion. It's, it's, we want to be faithful to what the church teaches. So these people brought their books of magic and they had them destroyed. And we, we want to pray for fear of the Lord. Now, fear of the Lord isn't, um, I think God is a big ogre who's standing over me with a stick and he's waiting for me to make a mistake so he can beat me up. Fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the desire to please God. I have a father who loves me and I want to praise him and I want to do what he desires me to do. So obedience to God is the offering that I give. All right. And reverence towards God and the fear of offending him Mm -hmm. is what fear of the Lord is. It's This reverence for God and this desire to please him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, a fear of offending. If you love someone, you don't want to offend them. You try really hard not to. Okay. Mm So the Christians who became the people who became Christian who had been pagans and had been practicing magic to get control over other people or have people look up to them. They realized that no, this is bad. We need to give this all up. And Jose Maria Escraver in Christ is passing by writes, "We Christians have a commitment to commitment of love to the call of divine grace, which we have freely accepted." An obligation which urges us to fight tenaciously, Mm. tenaciously. Are we fighting against? If I don't know that I'm in a battle for my soul, I'm probably losing it. Are we fighting against evil? Are we fighting against the tendencies in us that take us away from God, that make us selfish and self-centered? We need to fight them. Mm. We know that we are as weak as anyone else in the world, but we cannot forget that if we use the resources available to us, we will become salt and light and leaven to the world. We will be the consolation of God. We're supposed to be the living presence of God in the world. But we can't do that if we keep dabbling in things that aren't of God. We don't. You don't want to play games, and I mean literally, you know, games, board games, the Ouija board, the, the Dungeons and Dragons, that have occult attachments to them or that that encourage you even even the video games that are violence and focused on violence and focused on i'm going to win by killing all my enemies this isn't what jesus did jesus laid down his life to win his enemies to get forgiveness for them is that what you know it's like Jonah. It's like yeah guy go kill all the bad guys quick 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 And, and it's like no jonah god wants to convert all the bad guys and just us too No, my child, God wants, you know, God's saying to us, no, my child, I want the bad guys converted. Are you praying for their conversion? Mm -hmm. Somebody asked me, why are all these bad people living so long? Well, according to what, you know, the the saints teach us and what the Bible teaches us, God adds days and years to the life of the sinner that he might repent. So if if someone's doing a lot of evil and they're still living, it's because God's waiting for them to repent. Are we praying for their repentance? We need to pray for the conversion of sinners, myself first, (laughs) you know. But remember, we're all in this together. It's like Bishop Sheen said, gentlemen, to the prisoners when he was asked to preach to the prisoners. Gentlemen, there's only one difference between you and I. You got caught and I didn't. We're all sinners. So the people repented of their, um, their having practiced magic. They acknowledged that it um, wasn't a good thing to do, and they burned their books. And just before that, this is what got the people to burn their books. I'd forgotten. this one little part here um, after the thing about the relics was that uh, there were some, oops, we're going to have to do this after the break. I uh, hear that music. woo We got an interesting story coming back. Oh, so yeah. Don't go Get away. Get yourself a
2: cup of coffee, some tea. You're going to like it. And uh, I just want to remind you, if you'd like to pass on the podcast, any of the shows, the podcast working. R4.org Tell your friends about Virgin r Our... yeah, yeah,
4: We got Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest, I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, you know?
2: (laughs) You know, yeah. That's right.
4: If God gave us a lot. You know, and I'm at the blessing of listening to all this. I just want to call all the people. You know, i got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money. And I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We got to. We have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Needing for communion. Saying your rosary. Saying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old. 30 years old. 29 years old. Five kids. And I thank you guys for everything. Everybody else, man! Get on fire! Fight for the truth, man! I know what I'm telling you guys! There's I no love it! Out there.
0: I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her, because she has been shown great love. According to St. John of the Cross, Christians should always remember that the value of their good works is not based on number and excellence. Their value is based on the love for God that prompts them to do the works. May we always be motivated by true love for God and not worry so much about what we do, but why we do it. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: Terry stepped out, but I'm still here. And uh, they say time flies when you're having a good time. We must be having a good time. This is our last segment here today. And I wanted to go back, just back up a little bit, back to Acts um, 19.13, what put the fear of the Lord in the, the people there in Ephesus so that they brought all their magic books and burned them, those who had come to be believers? Well, there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who actually practiced magic, and that's how they did their their exorcisms. And so they, they went around and they would do exorcisms, and um, they would say things like, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches— and it was interesting because there were, there were seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. And they were doing this. They were going around doing this. And they came upon a man who was possessed. And they said this to him. I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches you know, to, to leave this man. And what does the demon say to them? Jesus I know. And Paul I know. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Well, what do we have here? We have seven men being overpowered by one man. Okay. The one man didn't have the capacity, naturally speaking, to overwhelm seven men. But you see, the demons are very strong because they're angelic creatures and so when a human being shows this supernatural powers this is this is one of the signs of demonic possession that they have supernatural strength and so he um the other thing though is these these jewish itinerant preachers they weren't preaching Jesus Christ they weren't saying this because they believed in the power of the name of the lord jesus they were doing it to get people to look at them and give them money or give them position or um, honor. So they weren't sincere in their heart and their belief in the Lord Jesus. And so it's not about Paul isn't going out and trying to get people's attention. Paul's trying to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is as Christians. And you know what? We can start out with good motives and go bad at any moment. So we need to make sure we examine our motives because we can start a good work, and then in the course of that good work, we start looking more at ourselves, and we're not seeing the Lord Jesus anymore, and it's no longer about the Lord, it's about us. And we have a problem there. So, this is the incident the, these seven men being overpowered by one possessed man, and then the, all seven of them getting beaten up and having to run out of the house naked. Well, everybody in Ephesus heard about it, and so all the people who had books of magic, they just, wait a minute, let's get rid of this stuff. This stuff is bad. And yeah, I, you know that we might get ourselves in trouble. We might get beat up like that. So they brought their all their books, and um, Paul then decides that he's going to go back through Macedonia and Achaia and and then back to Jerusalem and eventually to Rome. And in the meantime, there are some silversmiths in Ephesus. Now Ephesus was a pagan city. They had a temple there to Aphrodite who is Diana, the Roman goddess Diana, a pagan goddess. And the, what would happen is these men made little s- silver statues, and they made c- quite a bit of money off of it because they had orgies at the temple of Aphrodite, sexual orgies, and they did they committed debauchery, which, by the way, this is degrading to the human person. It'll, it's offensive to God. And it degrades the immoral man sins against his own body. So all of you out there who are addicted to pornography or um, to sex, you're sinning against yourself. You're hurting yourself. You're degrading yourself as human beings. We need to beg God for the grace to overcome these things. And it begins with confession to humbly and sincerely tell the Lord, I've done these things and now I'm trapped in it. Lord, I need your grace to break free and don't give up. No matter how long or how hard you have to struggle, don't give up. The Lord is with you. He wants to free you from sin. He came to free us all from sin, and he wants to free us all from sin. So continue your fight. And so these men, these artisans in Ephesus who are afraid they were going to lose money because it's like, well, Paul is preaching, uh, you know, living a chaste life, living a sober life, an alert life, giving up magic, Wait a minute, he's going to cut in on our business, you know? So what are they more worried about? Economic security. By the way, just on the note in our in our political arena, we as Christians are supposed to bring Christ in, the lay people, lay Christians are supposed to bring Christ into the political arena. Are we doing our politics based on economics? I want the candidate who's going to give me the best economic result? Or do we want the candidate who's going to bring our country back into line To what it was established, one nation under God, where God is sovereign and every individual person in the United States of America is answerable to God and obeys the Ten Commandments, not out of fear of getting punished, but out of the reality that this is what God wants for me. This is what gives me dignity. This is what holds me up and builds me up in the Lord and gives me true joy. So, our politics should definitely be influenced and informed by our faith in God. And if we can separate our faith in God from our politics, we have a problem because we're not living a human life anymore. We are living a schizophrenia. To say that I'm a Catholic, but I don't have to have, I don't have to oppose abortion and I don't have to oppose immorality and public debauchery. No, honey, that doesn't work that way for any of us. I have to oppose sin in myself. And then I have to help others oppose it. And you know what? The people of the United States of America never voted to approve abortion. It was the Supreme Court that legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. That was seven people. And it wasn't all seven of them. It wasn't a unanimous vote. So, no, the people didn't vote it in. Women don't want to kill their children. Please don't put them in a position where they feel like they're forced to. How could you be so inconsiderate and so degrading toward any woman that you would want to do that to her? And I understand there's lots of circumstances out there, and there's a lot of hurt people, but killing children is not going to help make a better society. Killing anybody doesn't make help a better society. We have a right to protect ourselves, and we have a right to put criminals in jail and keep them incarcerated, but we don't have a right to kill innocent, defenseless human beings. And to do so, actually what happens is then the woman is traumatized because her child has been killed, so she has to bear that the rest of her life, and she will never forget. And and not only that, the father of the child was let off scot-free. He has no responsibility So you're saying to the world, you're saying to our young people, the way to take care of your responsibilities is to just destroy them. So you went out and you were irresponsible with your body and you got pregnant or you got someone else pregnant and now you're going to kill the child. Well, honey, it wasn't the child. The child didn't do anything wrong. So let's let's take to heart the words of the gospel and the reality that, you know what, God gives us the grace to bear these things, and he gives us the grace to live the hardships. He came to live them with us. Jesus Christ really became man. But let's not give ourselves over to debauchery. That's what the people of Ephesus did. They were giving themselves over to debauchery, and then there were men like the artisans who were profiting greatly by the debauchery of the people. And you know what? It's still there in our world, isn't it? There are a lot of people who profit greatly from killing innocent children, and from making women slaves through promoting promiscuity and um, free sex and um, prostitution. They call it a noble profession. What's noble about a woman not having any dignity? Her only worth is in the money that she's paid. That's not noble. What's noble is to be the child of God we were called to be, to be the image and likeness of God that we were made to be, And so that's what the gospel does. It gives us the freedom to do this. So these artisans try to cause a riot here in in Ephesus, and they're trying to make trouble for Paul and for the the Christians. But the magistrate is is a a level-headed man, and he says, look, guys, what's going to happen is you're going to get in trouble for causing a a public riot for no reason. So, you know, if you you silversmiths have a, a complaint, you need to bring it to the court and have a reasonable hearing not just create a public riot. And the lesson is true for us. Remember, everything that's in the scripture applies to us today. So in our world, we're living in a world that's very much like Ephesus and Corinth, where people are saying, oh, we can do whatever we want with our bodies, and it doesn't matter. By the way, um, when a woman is pregnant, the baby's not part of her body. And biologically speaking, the, um, the body itself if a woman doesn't get the proper nutrition during pregnancy, enough to, to support the life of the child, her body, while she's pregnant, will take nutrition from the woman, from her stores. It will take the nutrition that the baby needs, and it, it feeds the baby first. So for the body, for the woman's body, the woman's body is saying the child is the priority. Because women are bearers of the mystery of life, and they have a great dignity in bearing the mystery of life. And they love deeply because they carry this child in secret, and the child grows, and they nourish it, and they cherish it. So don't destroy our womanhood. Don't take our womanhood away from us. Don't take away this mystery of bearing the the mystery of life. Reverence it as a mystery. And you men out there, you take responsibility for the children you fathered. Stop fathering children irresponsibly. Take responsibility. Pray for the women that you've gotten pregnant. Do penance for whatever fornication or adultery you've committed. And get down on your knees and beg God for mercy. These sins lead to further sins. And and sin begets sin. So stop the cycle. Go to confession Confess your sins. Don't be like these men in, in Ephesus. It's like, well, as long as I can profit off it, I don't care who it hurts. You know, I don't care that these people are committing debauchery and degrading themselves and they feel miserable. They come into Ephesus and they go to these pagan rituals and they are they go home miserable and horrible. And oh yeah, it felt good for a moment in the flesh. But then we're not just flesh. We're creatures composed of body, soul, and spirit. We're a whole being. And you know, don't don't act dualistically. Well, what I do with my body is one thing and what I think with my mind is another. No, we're not extreme dualists. The mind and the body have to work together. So we wanna live the word of God faithfully, but we need to ask God for help. And if you want the gift of faith, ask for it, all right? Ask for the gift of faith. It is a gift. And that God exists is not a gift of faith. You can know that from the, the use of your own human reason. It's reasonable to believe that God exists. That he's a trinity of persons, that his son became man, that's a gift of faith. Ask for it. Ask for the gift of faith. If you want to know the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, let me know you. Let me know your Father and the Holy Spirit. Help me to live the life you want me to live, Lord, and help me to be all that you want me to be, to live up to my dignity as a human person. If you want to get those CDs on the Inerrancy of Scripture or that MP3 from Scott Hahn, 877-526-2151. And hopefully we will be back again next week on Bible with the Barbers. And I begin my Bible study this evening here at Saint Park Chapel at 7 p.m. Look forward to seeing all of
3: those of you. who um, Thank you for listening. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg Thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of Thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of Thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For Thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful
0: Radio Sharing the Gospel with Clarity and Charity